Hi, I'm David Freudberg. Each week at the Humankind on Public Radio podcast, we strive to practice the simple art of listening. At times, it can feel like a lost art in our noisy world, and of course, not everything is worth listening to. But for me, when I'm able to get centered, listening can be almost a sacred experience, a moment of focused attention that accords the speaker a measure of dignity. If you value this too, please help others to find our podcast. Consider going to Humankind on Public Radio at iTunes and leave us a kind review. And thanks for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. Simplicity, a lot of people think, is only frugality, is only living on less. But simplicity has to do with saying, the way I live matters in terms of the environment, in terms of the community. I'm not putting money as my main goal in life. Simplicity is taking what you need and not what you want, but just what you need. And so you have true happiness instead of just getting lots and lots of things and attaching your happiness to things. You can, you can be free of that and you can focus on what's really important. The yearning for a life that's less superficial and frantic and based more on inner fulfillment. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. It may be a healthy response to the way our lives can get oppressively cluttered and hectic people are reacting against the relentless forces of technology and media and consumerism, forces that bear down on us heavily, speeding up society and making our lives seem more and more stressful and complicated. Bobbing in this sea of materialism, many of us long to simplify, to become less encumbered by possessions, less breathless in our activities, and more available to what really matters having time for other people, and having time for oneself. Taking this positive personal step is an act of voluntary simplicity, the title of a classic book by social scientist Dwayne Elgin in San Anselmo, California, near San Francisco. We're really led away from, um, I think, what we're here for, which is um, to learn how to live sociably with others and how to live soulfully with ourselves. And um, consumerism is relatively shallow and life is deep. And um, the clutter and the complexity takes us away from those depths that I think we all intuitively sense and we all seek to bring into our relationships and into our lives. Um, And my sense is people um, have seen the shallowness of consumerism and they're looking for how to get back to the depths of their lives. What does that really mean when people simplify their lives and simplify their interactions with each other? 
And see, one of the, <clears throat> one of the key things is that uh, it's less pretentious. If you're sim deliberately simplifying your life, you're not uh, putting forth your clothing and other possessions as an expression of you, who you are. You're not pretending that that stuff is you. You're saying, I am me. This soulful being standing here is who I am. Um, so it really does uh, change how we come to the world, how we relate to others. Uh, another thing that I've noticed is that it really changes gender relationships because a lot of the um, issues that come up between men and women, uh, gender issues have to do with consumer issues. When people start simplifying their lives, they get underneath some of the images that our consumer society is putting out there about gender uh, roles and identities, and it simplifies how we relate to one another as men and women. I can just, just hear people saying, you know, why would you choose to have fewer things? Um, for them, that would seem the opposite of progress. Yeah. Time. Uh, perhaps the most precious uh, thing that we have is time. And if we're investing our time and our lives in acquiring things, um, well, then where have our lives gone? And my sense is uh, people want their lives back. They want, uh, it isn't so much that people don't want things, it's that they want uh, their lives. They want their souls and... and um, Do you have to pick? Constantly. Choosing constantly, all the time. Just choosing all the time, day in, day out. And so <clears throat> what we need to do is to figure out which possessions really serve us and which uh, really uh, complexify our lives. And then make some choices. Opting for a simpler life doesn't feel like a hair shirt of deprivation to Duane Elgin and others. It feels like a relief from the expense of buying too many superfluous objects and from the burden of maintaining them. Simplicity can reduce the pressure on us to earn so much. It means that when our money and possessions begin to own us, or when a frenetic lifestyle distracts us from more important needs like human relationships, it's time to reprioritize and scale back down to earth. But the marketplace we live in has a mind and momentum of its own. Inescapably, we are tugged to buy and consume. Advertising everywhere drums into us the suggestion that purchases can meet our deep emotional needs. Shopping itself is somehow seen as a way to fill a personal void. Fountains gush amidst lustrous polished floors at the upscale Pioneer Place Shopping Center in downtown Portland, Oregon. Shoppers on this Saturday morning are asked if people in our society overemphasize materialism. I don't think they're too preoccupied with it, no. Since I'm in retail, I'm glad they are. The thing that concerns me the most is how busy we all are. And I think that time is, becomes the issue. 
I don't know that necessarily purchasing and spending is the problem. I don't think we spend enough quality time with our families and friends. And I think that that is probably at the root of what I would consider to be my biggest concern. I think the, the main problem would just be a sense of um, people quickly judging someone by the items they collect, which has nothing to do with their ethics or their moral fabric. I wonder if you think that Americans are sometimes too preoccupied with buying things and materialism and possessions? There's no question about that, and, and that's why I'm sitting here on the outside of the store, <laughs> you see. Um, but it's, it's advertising and um, the media that, that uh, helps cause that desire, and um, we fall for it. And what do you think is, is unhealthy about that emphasis that so many of us have? Putting the wrong thing into our lives as a priority. There's a lot of good that can be done with the 24 hours that we're blessed with, as many days as we have them. And uh, consumerism is probably not one of the better things that we can be doing with that 24 hours. It would depend on what the lifestyle was, because I know I like things, I love to shop, and it's, it's like a hobby, it's a pastime, and if I have money, I want to spend it. And it doesn't mean my life's empty, it doesn't mean that that's all I do, it just means that's something I like. Now when you say it's kind of a pastime, what is it that you enjoy about it? I just, I, I guess it's just looking at the different things and the colors and the, and the objects and trying clothes on and looking at CDs and all kinds of things. Is that fun? It is fun, yeah. How about you? Do you like shopping? Yeah, I like shopping a lot. What do you like about it? I don't know. I like stuff. I, I don't know. I just like shopping. Youth especially has been targeted by marketers. Young people are a vibrant, voracious audience with the power to influence parents. And so it was fascinating for us to meet 14-year-old James Williams, who in his own way has taken a stand against the tide of consumerism. He lives across town in Portland in a middle-class neighborhood with his mother, Dilafruz, a professor of education from India who preferred to let her son do the talking. This is a dish my son loves, the bhaji as it's called. James is an unusually thoughtful, gentle fellow with a light mustache. He likes to keep things on a human scale, working in his vegetable garden, taking care to get to know his neighbors and to keep his community clean. James recently attended a special public school dedicated to environmental education. He is wary of overconsumption with its impact on the planet and on us as people. When we just get lots of things and we attach our happiness to however many things we have or you know, how many toys or computer games or whatever, um, then we're never really happy because we can always get more and more and newer and newer and better and better. And, you know, you can have 100 cars and there's still more cars you could get. And instead, finding happiness in, you know, being with family, uh, helping other people, and um, being, uh, being a good person, contributing to you know, the common good, by, you know, whether that's, you know, planting plants in the park or... Uh, you know, building houses for poor people or whatever, but could be contributing and spending time with other people, which is something that in you know in America these days you can't you seem to have less and less time to be able to do. Now a lot of kids at least think that getting 
material things and buying the latest this and the most expensive that is satisfying, and for you it's not satisfying. Right. Why not? Well, I could get, for example, with computers. I'm fairly into computers. I know a lot about them. and you know, I have a computer, and I do a lot of work in mine with they're constantly being updated. So I, if I get, you know, when I got my 486, that was not the best available, but that was really, really good. And, you know, two years later, it's ancient technology. You don't just need to upgrade that. You have to you need a bigger hard drive now so you can store more stuff. And then you need more memory and a new monitor. You need a bigger monitor. It just goes on and on and on. And so... The satisfaction is only a very short period of time, whereas if I um, instead do things like plant a tree, that tree will you know, be growing for a very long time, and that's, it's helping lots and lots of people, and I think that's a lot more satisfying. I try not to be so much of a consumer and use less and reuse what I can. And I was really surprised when I went to India and um, saw how few possessions people had over there and how few things that they needed to, you know, have a great time. They could you know, spend children over there just, just play with each other. They may have one toy, just one doll. That's all they have, or they might have nothing. Yet they still, you know, they're smile on their face and playing around. It reminds me that everything I do is affecting so many other people, you know, wherever they may be. And you know, there's people out there who don't have any food, they don't have you know, any toys, they don't have any clothes or anything. They don't have a house. And some people have like three cars and hundreds of toys or whatever. Even just, you know, with me, just having what I do have, a computer, all my papers and the toys I do have and um, just all that and how lucky I am but also that I have to be really careful that I use everything to its fullest extent like with food eat all the you know eat all the food and then if there's any you know whatever leftovers food or moldy food or something just put it in the compost pile and then work that back into the soil to grow food and um, so on so I try hard but it's, it's very difficult and why is it so important to you not to waste because there's so many people who don't have anything and they wouldn't waste anything at all In a culture that prods us to acquire more and more, many people are showing signs of strain. In scrambling to keep up, we are sometimes working too much, consuming too much, and rushing too much. What it's done to people is that they don't, they don't feel alive. They feel, you know, depressed is one word, but just blah is maybe the better word. And they feel like they don't feel excited about life. They don't feel 
exuberant. They don't feel passion. Cecile Andrews in Seattle believes that many of us are searching for meaning in all the wrong places. A baby boomer with heart and soul and big round glasses, she sees the movement toward greater simplicity as one answer to the basic human thirst for an authentic life. Cecile writes a provocative column on the subject for the Seattle Times and has authored a popular book, The Circle of Simplicity. She feels that many people lack direction and purpose and have lost their center in the race to get ahead. There are a lot of reasons, but it's not having the center. It's having everything blurred. Um, it's living in a society that doesn't encourage you to be who you are. And I really see voluntary simplicity, you know, really kind of the heritage of the liberation movements of people of color, sexual preference, women, disability, saying, I want to choose the way I want to live. I don't want to live the way you want me to live. So I've always been interested in this. I mean, Thoreau was my, oh, reading Thoreau in high school was, you know, and I've got to say the whole thing when he said, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. This but, is Henry David Thoreau, yes. the author of Walden. Yes, and you see that last one, and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. The reason that struck a chord was because when I was eight, my father died. And it was like this message. It was like you can't waste your life. You can't spend your time doing stuff that, that drain you, that, that doesn't fulfill you, that doesn't make you feel alive. I think one of the biggest motivations that I've seen these days for doing this is that people in the workplace feel absolutely demoralized with the long hours, with even though theoretically we have a good economy right now, nobody really feels secure in their job. I hear so many stories about the treatment that they get at work, about you know the lack of self-worth that they feel at work. And so what a lot of people really want to do is, okay, if I can cut back in my expenditures, if I can save some money, maybe I can work less. Maybe I can get in a kind of a job that doesn't pay as much, but it's going to give me more satisfaction. Cecile Andrews hears from a lot of people who have taken the leap of changing careers so as to align more closely their work life with their personal ideals. But while not everyone is in a position to switch to a more fulfilling job, we all do make daily decisions about how we'll spend our limited time and resources. Simplicity challenges us to stay conscious when selecting the activities in which we invest our life energy, to keep focused on values like respecting the larger community and caring for individual people. When people are asked what's our biggest problem in this country, they say greed. And that, that again, this isn't my own idea, but one person said that someday we're going to look back at our attitude toward money and, and our, our acceptance of greed the same way we look back now that people who believed in slavery.
that it's that fundamental that money is always going to be an incentive, but it shouldn't be our only value and it has taken over. Why do you think it has mushroomed so out of proportion? Well, I think it's partially because it has to do with, um, it's kind of like a kid in a candy store. If suddenly you have the opportunity, you just go crazy. And the, in this society, it's like we had the opportunity to get rich after World War II. And it's like we think power corrupts, wealth corrupts. And it has driven out our other values. It was almost an accident. And that we don't have a heritage in this country of other traditions. If you're saying no to greed, what must you be saying yes to? You're saying yes to a caring community. You know, if we're going to make it, I think that we have to have this sense of the common good. And I think you have to have this sense of, you know, here I am I, as a human being, and I want to live as fully as I can. And that means I'm going to be concerned with something more than just greed. I'm going to be more, more than just me. And more than just me, that that if you if what we want at that base is this feeling of self worth, and I really do think that's the base thing, you have to have people caring for you, and I don't think you can have a caring community, even in the small caring community, if you don't have a wider society that values a caring community. Establishing a more cohesive society starts with personal connections between people. Living simply means sincere communication, a willingness to reach out, to reveal oneself, and to listen. But these essential human needs can get neglected in our busy, hasty lives. And so Cecile Andrews has fashioned a way for people to come together, called Simplicity Circles. Informally structured, free of charge, and cozy, usually about a half dozen people visit someone's home, the circles provide a forum for those trying to lead lives that are outwardly simple but inwardly rich. It's hot water, and then hot you can water. make your choice for tea, and then here's everybody, everyone gets it next. Hundreds of these circles meet around the country. One of them gathered recently in Cecile's dining room overlooking Seattle's beautiful Green Lake. The subject of discussion was how people find community. I was separating and divorcing my first wife and was looking for an outlet for myself and joined up with um, a writing group and I stayed with them for three years and that for me was the first opportunity I had to kind of plant the seeds of my being and the only way that could occur was in an environment that was accepting because for me it was I had to get you have to get, I've never felt comfortable getting the stuff out that nobody wants you to get out. The anxiety, neurotic, low self, sense of self stuff. And so to go through that process with this group, for me, was a very powerful sense of community. And for me, it defines the kind of work that I want to do in building community because from I've seen what's occurred within me as a result of that. So the first thing I think is the community can help you become aware that you have a voice, that actually you're a unique person in this world, on this earth. It's not an accident that you're here. What I've been doing for a while is just turning off the TV. And it's such a simple thing. 
But that TV sucks up so much of your time. Before you know it, it's all gone. It's time to go to bed, and I've done nothing. So um, I've just said I'm turning it off. I'm going to be really mindful and thoughtful about what I do watch. I wanted to throw it out, but my husband didn't go for that. So, um, you know, I said I'm just going to be really careful about what I watch. And I, I made sure that, that my husband and I have it off most of the evening so that we can talk, and that really helps. Just be interested in the people that you are looking around every day. I mean, just be interested in the rest of the people, you know, try to know them, try to talk with them a little bit every day maybe. Uh, be, be willing to spend some time talking with different people, even though you're in a hurry, even though you're in a rush, even, even though you have a lot of work to do, like we always do, right? right. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's really rewarding and, 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 and in the mid and, and long term, it's 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 great it's great to know more people and people that eventually you will be able to trust and they will trust you and you will start creating an a, a, an authentic community i started a writing group when i was trying to think of what to do with my evenings besides watching tv and um these were three women that i knew on the surface didn't know really well and now they're three of my very dearest friends the writing group has just been a real boost for me as far as getting away from the TV, really connecting with other people, and also um, really listening to people, learning how to really listen. Um, a lot of times when you're in a group like that, you sit there and think, okay, I wish she'd stop talking because I've got something really cool to say, and I want to tell my story, and when is she going to be done? Um, and you're not really listening to what the other person is saying, and so it's really important to just stop, listen, and not think about what you're going to say next or how you would counter at that, or, oh, she's so wrong. You know, you just listen without judgment, and even reflecting that back when you talk to someone, saying, oh, do you mean this? Um, it's very powerful. It's such a simple thing, but you can make such good connections by just really making it clear that, that the person you're talking to, you're really listening to them. Meaningful communication is a central theme of the effort to simplify our lives. When people start to strip away superficial diversions, they're left to face themselves and each other. Everyone naturally needs an opportunity to share what they're really going through, to get feedback, and to identify with the experience of others. Cecile Andrews. When you're in a group like this, non-competitive, small, get a chance to be listened to, it is absolutely safe. And this is totally different than most of the places we have a conversation. You're not safe at work because there's a lot of backstabbing goes on these days because people are worried, you know, they got to get ahead. You're not safe in the, in the classroom because people are, are going to try to shoot you down. And even with your friends, you rarely go deeper than, you know, what's a good restaurant, what's a good movie, which I love to talk about too, but you have this sense, that let's go a little deeper. And that's what you get to do in the simplicity circles. We're helping everyone find their own truth. So we're not saying how, what is the correct definition of voluntary simplicity? What's the correct definition of community? We're saying, what is your truth? Because I really think to me that the heart of adult learning is that each adult has to know what is in his or her long-term best interests in the really big sense and how to resist people who try to deter them, try to manipulate them. So people need to discover their own truths. What do you mean, discover your own truth? 
I have to know what I value, who I am. I, I see this as figuring out what our real needs are. And one of our real needs is for silence, reflection. I like the word study, not as we've kind of ruined it in schools, but studying, paying attention. People say, oh, the word study is so, don't use that word, Cecile, don't use that word, study. And then somebody told me that the Latin root of the word study is enthusiasm and zest. And I thought, well, that's what people want. I mean, that is the outward manifestation of the inner peace of this enthusiasm and zest. Hmm. If you're going to choose how you want to live, you first have to sit in silence and that this is a real human need. You've been listening to Humankind with David Freudberg. Humankind was written and produced by David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Associate producer, Tom Bryan. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This segment, Simplicity, is Humankind program number 24. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.